The following audio is for Emmanuel Baptist Church. More information about Emmanuel is available at our website, www.myemmanuel.net. It's always good to look back and remember and... Wow, almost 1,200 baptisms. Amen. That's Isn't that good. great? That's lives great. changed, multiple, multiple lives changed, and it's, it's awesome. And it just seems like yesterday, right? The church has grown, and I have grown. You have, yes. We all have grown, yes. <laughs> Not always the right ways, but <laughs> you got another 30 in you? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> They weren't so sure. About I know. That. Nobody they, even they, like it was like, like hmm. the people were like, oh, no, not another 30. Uh, not another 30. <laughs> not another. Uh, all right. Well, on behalf of the congregation, I want to present you with this check and say thank you for your leadership, uh, loving us, praying for us, and preaching the word. And so we're going to let you do what you love to do and feed the flock. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. It's been a wonderful privilege in my life to serve as your pastor for these 30 years. Some of these that are sitting right here aren't 30 years old. Some of their faces appeared in those baptism pictures, and uh, that blessed my heart. You know, there are, uh, there are many, many pastors, and you probably know this, who wake up on a Monday morning and think, oh, there's got to be another church, got to be a different way to go. And I have never had that thought. I have been confident of my call uh, to Emmanuel to be your pastor, and uh, it's just been uh, the joy of my life and the passion of my life these 30 years, and and uh, so thank you. Thank you for putting up with me and my failures, and some of you have picked me up and dusted me off a few times, and uh, what a joy. And I believe that God has even greater and mightier things in store for us going forward. As I as I thought about this day, and I didn't know they were going to do this uh, video and uh, some of the other things, but I did know that today would be my 30th anniversary. And as I prayed and thought about, well, what would God have me share with you? I was drawn to 1 Samuel chapter 12. And I would love for you this morning to get a Bible or get the one that's right there in the rack in front of you and join me, 1 Samuel chapter 12. Let me tell you what's going on there so that you'll have a, a context for what we're about to read. Samuel has served Israel as uh, judge, as prophet, and as priest. And uh, he's peculiar in that. In, in the entire Old Testament, uh, no other man served uh, Israel in all three roles simultaneously except Samuel. Samuel is He's exclusive in that whole list of great Old Testament saints. He's the only one to be the judge, the priest, and the prophet. And uh, Samuel was incredible. He was an incredible leader. But even though he was incredible, Israel said to him, well, we, don't want, we don't want this judge-priest thing. We want, we want to look like the other countries. Egypt has a king. Philistia has a king. Edom has a king. Syria has a king. We want to have a king. And the scripture says that Samuel was distraught about it, but God came to Samuel in a vision. He said, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. The reason Israel never had a king is that God was their king. They were his people, he was their king. He was to have that kind of relationship with them. And so they really were rejecting that. 
So what we come to here in 1 Samuel 12 is what's known, and maybe even in your Bible, it might even say this on the uh, above uh, chapter 12, this is Samuel's farewell address. Now, let me say this to you. As far as I know, this is not my farewell address. Um, I plan on going forward with you and seeing God do great things. And if he wants to take me to heaven in a, in a roundabout accident, uh, that's one thing. But uh, this is not my farewell address. But in this address, in this sermon, we find the, the formula for knowing and having the, the blessing of God as the people of God. Now, the, the sermon has got three parts. It's what the people of God are supposed to do. That's you. It's what the leader is supposed to do. That's me. And then if you do what you do, and I do what I do, there's what God promises to do. And that becomes three parts. It, it reminded me of the verse uh, in Ecclesiastes uh, 4.12 that says a three-chord, a three-fold cord is not quickly broken. In fact, if you read about it, he says, if you, have a, if you have a fight with another guy, there's a chance you might get whooped. But if your buddy fights with you, there's a really good chance you'll win. And if you've got two buddies, you'll win. So three threefold cord, like a like the braiding of a rope or a whip, it's what strengthens us. So let's think about the threefold cord. The people are one, the leader is another, and the Lord Jesus is the third part. Look at this passage with me. First Samuel chapter twelve. I want to begin reading about halfway through verse twenty, okay? So find verse twenty, kind of skip the first part. It starts with, yet do not turn aside. That's where we want to start. Listen to Samuel's sermon. Here's what he says. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And don't turn aside after empty things. They can't profit. They don't deliver you from anything because they're empty. The Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Verse 23. Moreover, as for me, far be it that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will instruct you in the good and right way. Only fear the Lord, serve him faithfully with all your heart, and consider what great things he has done for you. Now, it's, it's, a, it's, an incredible, it's an incredible sermon. It's got the three parts. Let's pull them apart, analyze them. Let's take the people of God first. Let's take your part first. What must God's people do to see the blessing of God? What is it that Samuel says? By the way, this is written about 3,000 years ago. So it's written about 3,000 years ago, and yet, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, preserved by the Holy Spirit of God, it is perfect instruction for where Emmanuel is right now. Number one on the list, what should the people of God do? He says it twice. He says, stop chasing things that are empty. The, the verbiage that he uses is, don't turn aside. But I, what I want to say to you this morning is, quit spending your time, quit spending your money, quit spending your effort on things that are void and empty and, and don't fill you up. Now, this morning, if I were to tell you that uh, alcohol and drugs 
would ruin your life, and it's a waste of your life to chase after them. Most of you in this room would go, amen, that's right. And everybody in this room has got somebody they know where alcohol and drugs have, have ruined them, and they know that that's an, that's an empty life. That's a wasted life. And, and even people who aren't believers know that. So what I want to say to you this morning is sometimes we've got to be careful because we, we can get the conclusion really fast. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to chase after alcohol or drugs or, or looking for a sexual relationships that will bring me fulfillment. All that's emptiness. But is it possible that you are wasting your life chasing something that's just as empty even though it's not necessarily on the sin list? I want you to think about it for a little bit. You probably have a summer to-do list, right? In fact, I'll bet you have a spring to-do list that didn't get done and became your summer to-do list, right? Because spring was so wet and so cold, nobody got their, nobody got their spring cleaning done. Nobody got their, their yard in shape yet. We're just, we're just all now getting ready to start doing that right now. But let's just talk about your yard for a second. You could throw yourself at getting your yard ready for the summer, but I don't know if this is news to you or not. When you stand before the Lord one day, there's no crown for you had the best yard on your block. Did you know that? I don't know that yards will be talked about any at all. And some of you, given the shape of your yard, you just went, whew, that's good. But we can spend a lot of time mowing. We can spend a lot of time doing things that they are on our to-do list, but they're, they're not really eternal things. They're, they're empty. Let, let's talk about your collection. What do you collect? Let's talk about your hobby. What's your hobby? There are so many of us, we're chasing the job promotion. We're, we're chasing more money. We, we want this. We want that. And in reality, there's no eternal value in those things at all. But because they're not sins, we don't like go, oh, man, pray for that guy. He's got a terrible addiction to, to elk hunting. Nobody says that. Well, maybe a few wives do. Anyway, the point is they're still empty. And so... Emptiness can become the characteristic of even God's people. Do you really think that there's a reward in heaven if you can get the high score on the video game that you like the most? Not really. There's no like, there's no like Fortnite crown, you know. It, it doesn't exist. So if we don't watch out, we spend this earthly life chasing earthly things. Let me tell you about all these things. There's no contentment in them. There's no peace that passes understanding. There's no joy that wells up. There's no purpose and meaning in any of them because they are empty. And Samuel says it twice. Don't turn aside after those things. So what are you supposed to do with your time? If you're not doing your hobby, you're not doing your collection, you're not doing your video game, it's not about work, it's not about your yard, what are you supposed to do? Well, the second thing he says to the people of God is, you're to serve the Lord with all your heart. In fact, Samuel is just repeating what Moses said. Moses said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Fast forward a thousand years, and Jesus would be asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus would say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And so in between Moses and Jesus... Samuel says the exact same thing. Why? Because God created you. He designed you. 
He designed you to live in an intimate love relationship with him that is satisfying. It does give you the peace that passes understanding. It is joy that wells up in your soul. It does give you purpose and meaning and direction. And that's because you were created to have that. And if you don't have that, if you're not walking with that kind of relationship with God, then your life, I guarantee you, isn't going well for you. In fact, here's what I want you to get. And let's put these, let's, let's put these in juxtaposition, shall we? Chasing after empty things, loving God. Isn't it interesting how the Bible always just gives you the bad and the good? The Bible never, you can read it, the Bible never talks about an ambiguous gray neutral area. And we all think that there is one. We're like, well, I'm not like a really bad person. I mean, I'm not like Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. No, the Bible never talks about the middle. The Bible says there's death and life. There's darkness and light. There's eternal death, hell. There's eternal life, heaven. There's no in between. So you can chase after empty things, no fulfillment there, or you can chase after eternal things. And eternal things are shaped by an intimate, ongoing love relationship with God that you were designed for. How much does God love you? He loves you so much. That even though you were a sinner, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross. That you might have eternal life with him. That he might know you. That he might, you might be his son and his daughter. And he might relate to you in the way that he intended from the creation of the world. There's a third thing for the people of God, though. Number one, don't chase after empty things. Number two, love the Lord your God with all you've got. But number three, in verse 24, he says, consider the great things that God has done for you. So people, here's what I want to say to you. The people of God, this is the key to life. Start thinking about what God is actually doing in your life. Um, let Let me just give you an illustration from my own life. It happens pretty regularly. You know that as pastors, we mentor, we disciple, we train, we coach, we're caring for people, counseling them. So frequently, I'm having a conversation with someone, and as they're describing their life, they're saying, you know what? God doesn't answer any of my prayers. I don't hear from God. I hear about people talk about miracles, but I don't hear the voice of God. I don't, I don't see God at work in my life. In fact, the things that I'm praying about, God doesn't do any of those things. And so I drilled down on that, right? We're having a conversation, and they've just basically said, God doesn't really do what he promised he would do. So I started asking questions. Well, what is it that you're asking God to do? Do you know what I frequently discover, just drilling down a little bit? They're asking God to give them the empty things in life. Oh God, if I just had the job promotion, if I just had more money, if we just had a different house, if I just had a newer truck, if I just had this guy, if I just had this girl, if I, if I just had this relationship, God, just, if you'll give me this. You know what they're doing? They're asking God to bless their kingdom instead of joining God in his kingdom. Let me tell you this. God's at work in your life. If you would just step back, maybe get your eyes off the empty things, and look at God. God's at work in your life. What is he doing? Let me show you how easy this is. I got the last email update from the Ukraine mission trip yesterday. They're going to get back late tonight. The last email update says that over about whatever it was, 10 or 11 days, listen to this, 77 
people receive Christ. You, absolutely. Let's rejoice in that. 77 people in 10 or 11 days. Here's what I want to say to you. You could have been on that trip. You could have put yourself in a place where God was at work. Maybe say, oh, I don't want to take my vacation time for that. Maybe you're like, well, I don't want to spend my money doing that. We were going to go to Glacier this summer. Okay, so choose the empty things if you want. But what I'm telling you is God's at work in your life. He's at work right here. You, you could choose to serve in, in children's ministry. You could uh, choose to serve with uh, student ministry. You could cho- choose to join a life group. You can get involved with Vision 3000, each one reach one. But there are places where God's at work. God's at work around you. Just get your eyes off of the empty stuff and look at where God is and then join him in what he's doing and stop spending all your spiritual energy asking him to join you in what you're doing. Do you see the difference? So Samuel says, get your eyes off the empty stuff. Love God with all your heart. Look at what God's doing and join him there. Well, the second part of the sermon is for me. But I want you to know what it is that God wants from me as your pastor and leader. It begins in verse 23. Samuel says, Moreover, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord. Stop right there. The first thing about the leader, when we ask ourselves the question, what must God's leader do to see the blessing of God? The first thing we see on the list is that he lives his life before the Lord. Uh, Listen very carefully what I have to say, and I say this with all love. Um, I'm your pastor, been your pastor for 30 years. I'm your shepherd. I'm delighted by that. But listen, I don't work for you. I belong to the Lord. My calling is from the Lord. God called me not just to the ministry, but to be the pastor of Emmanuel. You affirmed that calling, but I serve him. And so I know there's some days probably when when I don't meet your expectations, and I say, again, I say this with all love, I don't care. Because I have to meet God's expectations. I have to stand before the Lord, and he's the one that I must please. James, the writer of the New Testament, when he writes about pastors and teachers and leaders, he says, not very many of you should want to do that job because it has a higher evaluation. Actually, the word it uses is judgment. It has a more specific and difficult judgment. I'm going to tell you straight out, there's probably some things you can do I can't do. I have a calling from God, a very specific calling. This is what I'm supposed to do. When I was a young pastor and didn't make very much money, a guy came to me and goes, hey, I know the church isn't paying you very much. He goes, I kind of got an answer for you. And then he told me how I could sell Amway. And, and then I, I just told him, I said, oh, but when I, once I realized what he was doing, I said, no, no, I, I can't do that. He goes, well, what do you mean you can't do that? And I said, no, I can't do it. The Lord won't let me. And he was like, what? And I said, look, I, when I go to visit my folks in my church, I don't want them to, is he coming as my pastor or is he trying to sell me Amway? You see, my life's different than anybody else's except other pastors, other men who are called to ministry. I'm called to serve the Lord. So the first thing we see here in verse 23 is Samuel saying, I can't sin against the Lord. But then he only names one sin. What sin is on the list that Samuel says he cannot commit? Look at it, verse 23. 
Moreover, as for me, far be it that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. So when we look at the life of a leader, he lives his life before the Lord. But secondly, he lives a life of prayer. The scripture says that we're to confess our sins one to another. So let me tell you this. When I was your 30-year-old pastor, I wasn't very good at this. I worked hard. I want you to know I worked really hard. I, I wanted to see God do things at the church, and I, I threw all my time and energy in it. But I wasn't very good at prayer. You know, I've learned over the 30 years, I've learned that my prayer, my prayers, my prayer life, is more important than how hard I work. And that's a good thing because I don't have the energy that I had when I was 30 anymore. But why prayer? Why is it that prayer is here on this list singularly? We see it again in Acts chapter 6. Remember the story of Acts chapter 6? The Grecian widows were being overlooked. And so Peter and the apostles said, get seven men to take care of these widows. As for us, we shouldn't sin against God by leaving the ministry of the word and prayer. You know, sometimes people tell the joke, and everybody's heard it. Most of you have said it. I wish I had a job where I just worked one day a week. Well, what is it that the pastor really does the other six days? Have you ever thought about it? Some of you, if I push you, say, what do you think I do? You'd be like, I don't really know. Well, chief on the list, highest on the list, are my prayers for you. You don't want to know how hard it is? Uh, decide that this afternoon you're going to spend one hour in prayer. I would suggest that most of you wouldn't last an hour. Most of you would pray about everybody you know, everybody you know in the whole world, and then you look at your watch, and you'd have 57 more minutes to go. It's hard work. And actually, the other thing that happens when you commit to prayer is Satan hates it. You know what I discovered as a young pastor? I can work really hard. Satan didn't spend very much time uh, uh, attacking me. But when I commit to prayer, there is something that Satan is afraid of about a praying saint. And he will come. That's where spiritual warfare really takes place when you commit yourself to prayer. You know what I ask you every week? Every week I say to you, when I'm done preaching, I say, take your bulletin, tear it out, and I want you to write your prayer request for me. And do you know this? Some of you never turn one in, ever. And some of you, bless your hearts, you give me a prayer request with no name. So I don't even know who I'm praying for or what. Give me the honor. Let me be obedient to the Lord by praying for you. It's the single most important thing that I'm to do. There is a third thing on the list, though. Number one, I live my life before the Lord. Number two, I'm to live my life in intercession. And then number three, Samuel says, and I will instruct you. It's the last phrase of verse 23. I will instruct you in the good and the right way. So do you want to know what that is? Here it is right here. This is the good and the right way. When you come every Sunday, you will hear me or, or those that I ask to preach or teach in my stead, you will hear someone say, turn in your Bibles. Because this moment is not about my speculations or my opinions. This isn't about me being a pundit. The, this is the moment where I say to you, here is the revealed 
character of God. God loves you so much, he reveals himself to you. And we have his word. And, and what do we know about it? Well, we know that the word never returns void. We know that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God lasts forever. We know that the word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts to the bone. It, it can tell the heart and the intent and the motive of any person. You know what that means? That means when you read the word of God, you don't really read it. It reads you. If you've got blind spots in your life, do you know what I would suggest to you? You haven't read the word of God because the word of God is a mirror that will reveal to you your blind spots. This is the word of God. And greatest on all of this list is John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. God says he is his word. Remember what we just talked about a while ago? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then God says, if you want to love me, love my word, because I and my word are the same thing. God's different than you and me. I might say to you, well, that's not what I meant. I might say to you, well, let me see if I can say that better. I might even say to you, sorry, I lied. Do you know God has never said any of those things? God has never said in his life that he lied. He can't lie. He's God. He's also never said, well, I didn't say that very well. In fact, you know what God says? God says, I am my word. So if you want to know God, you have his word. And my role to you each time we gather is to instruct you in the good and the right way. God created you. He designed you. He loves you. He sent his son Jesus to die for you. And he has revealed for you Every question that you have in life, he's already answered. It's all right here, and that's my role. Well, if you do your part, and I do my part, what is God's part? Look in verse 22. The Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. What will God do for us that we might see his blessing? The first thing that I want you to see is that God calls you to be his people. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Christ, God's calling you. He's asking you to come to him. He has sent his son Jesus to the cross. He wants to have a love relationship with you, an intimate relationship with you, and walk with you in in all of your life's direction to give you peace and joy and purpose and meaning. And it only comes through God. It doesn't come through the empty things. You can try those. And when you get to the end, you got nothing. You're still empty. But God wants to fill you with the eternal things that come from knowing him. So step number one, God's calling you. Respond to that. Number two, what else will God do? Not only does he call us to be his people, but he keeps us as his people. The scripture says he will not forsake us. It's an interesting thing, isn't it? God knew that when we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior and we asked for the forgiveness of sins, he knew that when he forgave us of our sins, one of the first things we would do is sin again. Do you know that? Did you know that God knew that ahead of time? When he sent his son to the cross, he knew that you, you, even though you gave your life to him and you, and you had all the best intention, he knew that you would still blow it. So the Bible does not say, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you unless you mess up again. That's not what it says. God not only calls you, but when you come to him, he keeps your salvation. Let's be honest. Some of you this morning did not know where your keys were on, before you came to church. 
You were looking for the fob. You're looking for the keys. Some of you this morning, you were walking around the house, and you finally said, honey, call my phone. I can't find it. Right? So if, if you lose your keys and you lose your phone, you would lose your salvation. So God didn't give you your salvation to lose. He says, I'll keep it. I will keep you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Say amen. You should have said it louder, but that's, that is God's promise to you. And so, why does God do all this? Why does he call us? Why does he keep us? Well, the third part of this is God does all this for his great namesake. Here's the most incredible thing about being in this, this effort. I'm not, I'm not talking about being on an athletic team. I'm not talking about being on a, a, a job team or a, or a military or something. I'm talking about this effort right here, the, the people of God. God does all of this for his glory. And that's, that's the key to being a part of the people of God. Uh, I'm delighted to have these 30 years with you, but it's not for my glory. I'm delighted for those of you who have been with me a long time. It's not for your glory. If, if we're going to do this right, if this is done right, it's for God's glory. And when you and I are in heaven, there's still a church here reaching people for God's glory. That's how you know it's done right. And that's our goal here is that we do it, not for my namesake, not for your namesake, but for his great namesake. And then when that's done, the Holy Spirit of God rushes in and he blesses the people of God. By way of benediction this morning, I want to invite you to make sure that you will make a commitment this summer to be a part of our next Bible study. It's in your, uh, it's in your bulletin there. I've entitled it Living in Babylon. It's going to start June 23rd. In two weeks, we're going to start it. I know there's a lot of things that cause you to be busy in the summer. You take some vacation time and get away and maybe camp. But do your best to be here each week. Let me tell you why we're going to talk about Babylon. When you, when you read about it in the Bible, and by the way, the Bible talks about Babylon a lot. Babylon is a place that doesn't want God, doesn't want Jesus. It's a place where you live for yourself. It's a place of selfishness and narcissism. It's a place where you try to fulfill all your lusts, and it becomes a symbol of the world. When you read about Babylon in Revelation, it's, it's, it's describing the world that doesn't want Jesus Christ. How do you and I, who are believers, live in a world that doesn't want God. That's what we're going to talk about. And it's going to have application for you in everything you do. Application for what happens when you go to the job, uh, dealing with your family, people that aren't saved, your neighbors, uh, where your kids go to school. Lots of application for you. I want to invite you to get a Bible, get a, get a, a, a pen where you can write notes in your Bible or, or bring something where you can take some notes and, and let's together learn what God wants us to learn. All of this comes from the book of Daniel. The story of Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the story of three guys who were living for the Lord, serving the Lord, and they were taken by force into Babylon. So we're going to study the book of Daniel together. June 23rd, that's when we start. I hope to see you each and every Sunday. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to audio from Emmanuel Baptist Church, located in Billings, Montana. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. 
but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Emmanuel, please visit us online at www.myemmanuel.net.